Turn in your Bible over to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 20, the seven judgments of God. This is part seven, and today we're going to be covering what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. Let me say as we begin, as you're turning there in your Bible, that there is no one big general judgment for all mankind. That is something that religion has come up with. That's a misinterpretation of the scriptures. It is not true. It doesn't fit scripture. There are seven major judgments in scripture. If you want to include the tribulation period as a separate judgment, that would be an eighth one. But nevertheless, these are so very, very important. And I ask that you give very, very careful attention today to what we are covering. This last judgment that we are covering is very sobering and it is very unsettling. This is the last judgment of all time. In other words, before eternity begins and there is no time any longer, this is the last judgment within time itself. And so we are covering this today and I trust that it'll be helpful to you. The first thing we're going to look at is to get our bearings. So we're going to look or talk about the time of the judgment, the time of the judgment. It will be after the final rebellion against God, which is led by Satan and his angels against the or with the rebels of the world at the end of the kingdom age. It's hard to believe anybody could be against Christ at that point. But the Bible says that there will be that shows you the hardness of man's heart. And so we see the time of the judgment. This will be after the final rebellion at the end of the kingdom age, at the end of the millennium. Now let's go ahead and look at our prophecy chart that we have used. Here's where we're living today during the church age. I believe we are very close to the rapture of the church. When Jesus comes back, we will meet, believers will meet him in the air and we will go to be with the Lord. Those left on earth will go through the seven year tribulation period, the worst time of world history. That's not an exaggeration. Jesus said it. It'll be the worst time of suffering that the world has ever known or ever will know. I do believe with all my heart, scripturally speaking, it is right around the corner on this planet. Things are unraveling and folks, it's just a matter of one little move. It's like knocking down dominoes. It's all going to start happening. And what is going to be the mark for the world that that is about to happen. Now we see things happening in the world now that are leading up to that, but we know that the rapture takes place before that tribulation period begins. Tribulation seven years long. At the end, Jesus comes back at the second coming to earth, touches down on the Mount of Olives. There'll be two judgments, judgment on Israel, judgment of the nations. At that point, we will be coming back. Those of us who've been in heaven for seven years with Jesus will be coming back at that point with him to set up his kingdom, the millennium. The word millennium means thousand years. It'll be a thousand years when Jesus will be literally ruling and reigning on the planet. The planet will go through unprecedented changes in beauty, in geography. The curse will be lifted from creation and the, the desert will blossom as a rose. I mean, there's all kinds of things that are going to be happening. You'll be able to play with poisonous snakes and they won't be poisonous any longer and they won't bite you. You'll be able to to ride lions around if you want to instead of horses and all of these kind of things during the kingdom age. I won't get off too much on that. That's exciting. Study our messages on Revelation, okay? 
if you want more details. But anyways, thousand years. Now at the end of that time, there'll be one final judgment that takes place right there at the end of the thousand years, the great white throne judgment right before eternity begins. And that is what we're covering today. So we see the time of the judgment. The time of the judgment will be at the end of the kingdom age, the millennium. But now, listen carefully as we go through. Secondly, we're going to look at the participants of the judgment. The participants of the judgment. In other words, who will be judged? Here you go. Those who stand in judgment at the great white throne judgment will be all of the lost all those who have never trusted Christ the Savior, all of the lost of all time will be judged, and they will be judged according to their works. Now, some may hear that and say, well, wait a minute, I thought going to heaven isn't based on your works. You're right, okay? But that's not the issue at this point. This is in eternity. They've already lived their life, and once you die, friend, you have no second chances on what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. That's why while you're alive, you need to put your faith in him as Savior. Look with me to Revelation 20, verse 11. It says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them, for the earth and the heaven. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books, notice this, plural, the books were open. And another book, singular, was open, which is the book of life. And the dead, which are the lost, were judged out of those things which were written in the books, plural, according to their works, according to their works. Now remember, life has been lived, You notice he says in verse 12, and I saw the dead small and great. In other words, what is God saying by that statement? God is no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you were somebody well-known or it doesn't matter if you were somebody just about no one knew. It doesn't matter what your income was. It doesn't matter uh, whether you made a lot or whether you made a little, the way you look. None of that matters. The issue is this. During your life, did you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ as, as Savior? If you didn't, then what you're deciding is you are deciding that, yes, you believe that you want to be judged in light of eternity by the way you lived your life, by your works. That's what this is saying. Here. And so the participants of the judgment will be all of the lost of all time. They'll be judged according to their works. Now, notice, let's break this down. Every lost person of all time will stand at the great white throne. Every lost person of all time. Listen very closely today. It doesn't matter if they ever believed in God or not, they will stand before Him whether they were religious or not. There will be no smirks on the faces of former atheists. You notice I said former atheists. Because whether a person believes in God or not, that doesn't change the fact that he is, and that he exists, and that he's real. And you can mock him all you want, but you will stand before him one day, And you will see just how real he is. As a matter of fact, you'll know that as the moment you die, that God is real. One of the things that has impressed on my mind recently is the sheer arrogance 
of man. We even had somebody a while back, and I think the person was a believer, and I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to be observant. And I was talking about, you know, eternal torment in hell and so forth. And and they said something, they made a statement like, well, I don't know if it'll be eternal torment or not, or I don't know if I can accept that. That is total arrogance, okay? God has said it. And we need to be careful when we put ourselves up as God's judge. We are not God's judge. God is our judge. He is God. We are not. And those who do not believe in God, I don't say this with pleasure, I'm pleading today. Those who do not believe in God, it doesn't make him go away. And God doesn't wring his hands and say, oh no, somebody doesn't believe in me. What new thing can I do? He's not doing anything new. He's given us all we need. No smirks on the faces of former atheists. They will be standing in front of the one whom they denied, mocked, insulted, and fought, and there'll be no escape. For an atheist to spend his life trying to prove God doesn't exist makes no sense whatsoever. If he doesn't exist, then why do you have to try to prove it? How can you do that? Friend, listen, the Bible says, oh, there's so many scriptures we could cover today, but because of time, we're not going to. The Bible says that man is without excuse. Well, what about the heathen in Africa? What about the heathen in America? Did you know Africa was reached with the gospel far before America ever was? That's the truth of it. Friend, all people do, they'll bring up these things because they want to deflect the idea that they are accountable to God and to Jesus Christ. I'm pleading today. Listen, man is without excuse. Why is that? Because there is the witness of creation. Everywhere we look, we see creation. That is why the false teaching of evolution is so demonic and so evil, because it tries to do away with God. But the reality is, if you examine the facts, you see very clearly that there is a creator. There's the witness of creation. There's the witness of the word of God. People say, well, what about those countries that don't have the word of God? There is no country in the world that does not have the word of God. Did you know that? They may not have it necessarily in their own language yet, but it is accessible. They can hear it. And the Bible's very clear, the record of scriptures, that if somebody wants to know God's truth, he'll get it to them. The Bible's very clear on that. Then there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit came, and he did, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So there's that conviction. And then there's the drawing that the Savior is doing ever since he was on the cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. So here's four ways God is working to bring people to Christ today, to reveal himself to them. And yet people say, well, I, I don't believe. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in... Friend, you are in... Listen, those of us who live in Minnesota in the winter, you can understand this. You're on thin ice. You're on thin ice. So notice, every lost person of all time will stand at the great white throne. Secondly, notice there are the books and then the book. I know I already mentioned that, but let's emphasize it. The books contain the works of the people, how they live their lives. The book is the book of life. Only the saved will be in the book of life. Those at the great white throne judgment will not be in the book of life. Their names have been blotted out of the book of life. Why? 
because they trusted in their works for their salvation, and they did not trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. This is where their faith was, was how they live their lives. Most people today, well over 90% of people on this planet believe they're going to go to heaven based on, or their version of heaven, whatever it is, based on how they live their life. There's some sort of faithfulness or good works involved in their mind on how they're going to get to heaven. Yet that's not what the Bible says. Remember, the first judgment we covered was what? The judgment of sin at Calvary. And this is the greatest judgment in the sense of the greatest benefit. Because if you believe that when Jesus died on the cross and paid for your sins on the cross, if you put your faith in him, then there is no condemnation to you. You don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment. You won't stand there. The great white throne is for those who would not accept the payment Jesus made. See, this was the payment that Jesus made for our sins by dying, being buried, and then rising from the dead. All he asks us to do is to believe he did it for us and he will save us forever. That's the beauty of the gospel. Let's move on. Number three, we'll look in the, let's look at the basis of the judgment. The basis of the judgment. The lost will be judged according to their works. Now, let me break this down and understand this again. I know there's a little repeating here, but it's, I'm doing it for a reason. They can't be judged based on faith in Christ because they rejected him as the only way to heaven. During their life, they would not accept the payment Jesus made. And so what they're saying is, in essence, I will pay for my own sin. I reject the payment Christ made as my way to heaven. Here's the truth, though, folks. Once a person dies without having put their faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, it is too late. It is too late. Life on earth is over. These people at the great white throne, they trusted in their works. So that is what they will be judged by. It's up to us. You either put your faith in Jesus Christ and the payment he made for your sin. You believe in him that he did that for you. And when you do, he'll give you everlasting life. Or you say, no, you know what? I will be responsible for myself. I can't believe it's a free gift. I believe I have to be faithful, be good, behave myself, do this and do that. Well, God's standard is perfection. Are you perfect? Well, no, then you better trust Christ because you don't have a choice. Well, let me put it this way. You do have a choice, but he is the only answer. They trusted in their works, so that is what they'll be judged by. This is tragic because All they have to offer, according to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, is filthy rags. It says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So you saying, well, you know what? Here, God, look at all the good things I've done. And you offer them up. God says, filthy rags, filthy rags. I won't accept that. That's why you have to be born again. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Hold your place in Revelation 20. We'll be back. Matthew chapter 7. I think this fits in beautifully, this passage. Most people misunderstand it. Most people misinterpret it. That's not surprising because the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Many people we talk to, we share the gospel with them, 
And they'll say, wait, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe it's a gift. I don't believe it's free. I don't believe it's not by works. After all, you, I mean, if you believe you have to do good works, if you don't do good works, you're not saved. After all, the Bible says many will say to him that day, Lord, Lord. Do you notice they never finish the two verses, three verses? Do you notice that? They stop with Lord, Lord. Okay, let's look at it. It could very well be that Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 is talking about the great white throne judgment. Jesus said, Jesus, verse 21, not not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. I say, well, there it is right there. You have to obey the Bible. You have to do all these good works and all that if you're going to get to heaven. That's not what Jesus is referring to. How do I know that? Because of what he says in the following two verses. In the following two verses, these people in their defense say, Lord, we've done this wonderful work and we've done that wonderful work and we've done this and we've done that. And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They're basing their salvation on how they lived their life. And he says, I never knew you. Look at it. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the will? John chapter 6, verse 29. Jesus said it clearly. He says that you would believe on him whom he has sent. That's the will. Verse 22. Many will say to me in that day. Now, look, look. He's saying, these are the people who aren't going to go to heaven. And notice what they're basing them getting in on. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? That's a good work. And in thy name cast out devils. That's a good work. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Many wonderful works. Those are good works. Jesus says, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. You know what that means, folks? They were never saved. They were never saved. And why? Because they're basing their entrance into heaven by their good works. We're not saved by good works. Yet if that's the standard you want to go by, You can go by that, but to your own detriment and damnation. And I don't say that lightly. Because at the great white throne, those who stand there will only be those who are lost. And the issue will not be, did you do enough good things to get into heaven? They're not in heaven. They're not going to heaven. The issue will be their degree of punishment in hell. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me explain this to you friend, look up here. If this hand represents you and me, and let my wallet represent our sins. See, here's why your good works won't save you. Here we are. We're all sinners, including me, all of us. God loves us, though. He hates our sin. He loves us. But our sin separates us from God. You can't get to heaven with your sin. Not even one sin. Revelation chapter 21, verse 27 says, not even one lie will get into heaven. You got to be perfect to get into heaven. None of us are. Here's how you have to be sinless in the eyes of God. None of us are. So what are we going to do? God says, if we die in this condition, we will be lost and we will be separated from God in a literal hell for all eternity. 
might say, well, I still think my good works will do it. Let me ask you this. Where in the Bible does it say that your good works will pay for sin? Not one place in the Bible does it say that. Not one. As a matter of fact, it says our good works won't pay for our sin. That's not how we're saved. See, no matter how hard you, if all the pages of my Bible were good works, and I was to put that, here's a whole lifetime of good works. Has that paid for sin? No. Might make me look better, might cover it up, but has that paid for sin? No. The sin has to be gone to get into heaven. So you can work all you want. You can be as religious as you want to be. You can try to keep the commandments, do good, and doing good is good, but it doesn't take away the sin. The sin's got to be gone. So what are we going to do? See, our good works will not save us. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, it says this. It says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the washing of regeneration. When you put your faith in Christ, your sins are washed away, you're cleansed. And a renewing of the Holy Spirit, that's being born again. The moment you trust Christ, your sins are washed away and you're born of the Holy Spirit. You have the new birth, you have the new nature, you have eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We have them right up here, also on the screen. Look what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not of works. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. So if the best I can do will not take away my sin, I'm in a terrible predicament. But you know what? There's a solution. The good news is this. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let this hand represent Jesus Christ. God in the flesh, the sinless son of God. He came to earth for one reason, to seek and to save that which is lost, to pay for our sins. And when Jesus died on the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself and he made the payment for all of our sin, leaving us nothing to pay for. He died, was buried, rose from the grave. He says, if you believe, if you believe that he did that for you, he'll give you as a free gift everlasting life. When you believe, this payment is good on your behalf. But until you believe, even though he's made the payment in history, until you believe, that payment's not put to your account. And if you die in your sin, you'll be lost forever, no second chances. The people at the great white throne judgment have rejected the grace of God as their means of salvation. They've rejected the payment Christ made for their sin. Now, you know, there's a damnable, damnable, awful message today that goes this way. Oh, what Jesus Christ did was important, but it wasn't enough. He did his part. I also have to do mine. If that's what you believe, and there's a name for that today, we call it lordship salvation. If that's what you believe, you are saying that Jesus, what he did on the cross is not enough. That's blasphemy. When Jesus died on the cross, he said it was finished. That means paid in full. He did it all. Listen, friend, he either did it all or he didn't do it at all. You can't have it both ways. So the only way you can be saved is to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior. The people at the great white throne have rejected the grace of God as their means of salvation. And they said, no, we will trust in our works. God says, okay, 
By your works, you'll be judged then. Can I say this also today? There will be many religious people at the great white throne. Many religious people. You ever talk to somebody? I know we do it at the fair. We say, hey, would you like to? No, I'm good. I'm good. That's not what the Bible says. I want to just jump out and get in their face and say, no, you're not. No, you're not. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that doeth good. See, you have to look at it from God's perspective. If the best I can do while I'm lost is filthy rags in a sight, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. You have to be born again for your works to be considered of any value. And for the believer, that judgment is the judgment seat of Christ, which we took two weeks to cover. There will be many religious people at the great white throne. They're the ones who will say, have I not done this? Have I not done that? Have I not done this? Have I not done that? God says, you're workers of iniquity. Depart from me. I never knew you. There will be many who were very sincere in their faith. Can I say it again? There will be many that were very sincere in their faith, what they believed. But their faith was in the wrong place. Namely, in themselves, or in their church, or in their religion. And friends, none of those things are the Savior. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. Point is this. Sincerity is not a substitute for truth. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Galatians 3.10 says, But as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You talk to people today. How are you going to know? Oh, I keep the Ten Commandments. Do you? Can you name them for me? Well, let's see. Most people can't even give you all Ten Commandments. Do you know that? By the way, do you know there's a difference between the Ten Commandments for Catholics and non-Catholics? Did you know that? Which set are you going to go by? That's a whole other subject. Here's the point. If you're going to keep the Ten Commandments to get to heaven, you have to keep them perfectly from the day you're born to the day you die. Who's done that? Nobody. Therefore, you are condemned. You're guilty before God. That's why it says in Romans 3.28, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without, without the deeds of the law. Faith alone in Christ alone is what brings salvation. Anything else is a perversion of the plan of salvation that God has given us. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 20 in verse 13. And remember, the lost, the dead, the lost, small and great, they're going to stand before God. They're not in the book of life. They're going to be judged according to their books because they rejected the payment Jesus made. So in essence, they're saying, Judge me by the way I live my life, because that's what's written in the books. Verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their words. Can I tell you this, friend? There will be no one who stands at the great white throne who will say, wait a minute, let me get my lawyer. Now, from what I've said so far today, you know, there still may be people who will say this. Well, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair that people can just believe that Jesus has paid for their sins and they go to heaven. And then you've got people who've been very religious and tried to live a good life their whole life and they go to hell. I don't think that's fair. Listen, we're not saved by fairness. We're saved by grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor, and he will save anybody 
by his grace. That is why Jesus came. Jesus came to make the payment so you don't have to. He died the death so that you don't have to. He came back from the dead to prove it was done. And he's always asking us to do is believe that he did it for us and he'll give us everlasting life. Folks, let us remember that going to heaven is not a matter of fairness, but perfection and of grace. God is a holy God. He cannot dwell with sin, but he has made the payment for our sins in himself by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He offers to us his very own righteousness as a gift. You go to heaven with the righteousness of God. You mean to say when you trust Christ, God gives you his very own righteousness? Yeah, if you were as righteous as God, could you get into heaven? Absolutely. And that's what he gives. Let's move on. Scripture bears out that there will be degrees of punishment in the final hell. Did you know that? There will be degrees of punishment? Let me show you a scripture on this. I could give you several, but look with me to Matthew 23. And by the way, I think the scriptures are clear that the greatest judgment will be for those who have led people astray in the name of God and religion. This is why James says, listen, if you're going to be a teacher, in our King James Bible it says master, it means a teacher. If you're going to be a teacher, you've got a very high accountability. Because you know why? People are going to believe what you say. I think of all the preachers who are preaching a false gospel, who are preaching a grace and works gospel, lordship salvation gospel. These people are going to give an account. Oh, I hope that they got saved earlier in life and now they just got messed up. Well, I don't hope they got messed up, but I, I hope they were saved sometime in their life. I don't want anybody to end up in hell. But if you believe it's Jesus Christ and your good works, that's an accursed message that will not save. It's only Jesus Christ who can save. I, even I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He does not share his Saviorship with you or with me. Matthew 23, 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Was Jesus not the hardest on the false teachers of his day? Yes, those were the ones. Why? Because they were the blind leading the blind. They were deceiving the masses. Look what it says. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. You don't allow them. People are getting close. They're learning the truth. They're getting close to trusting Christ as Savior. And the false teachers come along and say, no, it's not just Jesus Christ. It's also good works. God says, woe to you. Verse 14, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore you shall receive, what? Greater damnation. All the lost will have damnation, but there will be degrees of punishment, I believe. The greatest judgment reserved for false teachers. They either rejected Jesus Christ totally or tried to add something to the finished work of Christ on the cross as a complete payment for sin, they're lost. Let's move on. Number four, the end result of the judgment. This is hard. Revelation 20. They will be cast forever into the lake of fire. 
Revelation 20, verse 14. They will be cast forever into the lake of fire. Folks, this is the final hell. This is the permanent residence of all of the lost. Verse 14, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You can turn there if you want. Luke chapter four, or 16, excuse me. Jesus rolls back the curtain and gives us a picture of somebody who was in the hell of the time. Well, it's, it's still the one. We call it Hades today. That is the place of suffering for the lost today. And it was the rich man. Now, he wasn't there because he was rich. He was there because his faith was in his riches. He had never trusted Christ as his Savior. And it says in Luke 16, And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in, look at that word, torments, means intense suffering. Seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Jesus is speaking. By the way, this is not a parable. Jesus never gave proper names in parables. He spoke in generalities. This is not a generality. This really happened. The lake of fire is a place of torment, It is a place of pain. It is a place of suffering. There is never a second of relief forever and ever and ever. It is total darkness, by the way, the final hell. You might say, how can it be a lake of fire and be total darkness? Because this is in the spiritual realm. Okay, These are not natural laws we're dealing with here. We have to simply believe what Jesus says. It is total darkness and totally lonely. Jude chapter 1 and verse 13, it says this, talking about lost people, it says, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, in whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Have you ever seen or ever heard the pathetic statement of some lost people who have said, well, I don't mind going to hell. I'll be there with all my buddies and we'll just party there and play cards and drink beer and this and that. Shame on you for thinking such a thing. It shows how deceived you are, friend. You will be alone and you will be in constant pain and it will never stop for all eternity. Why? Because you never put your faith in Christ. Oh, I know there are people who hear a message like this and they can mock and they can say, I don't believe that, this and that, and you know, and they'll say, yeah, see that? See, I can't believe in a God who sends people to hell. He doesn't send anyone to hell. The point is Jesus came so you don't have to go there. God is a God of justice. It's up to you to believe that. He's not going to make you believe it, but you better believe it. You better believe it. And if you don't trust Christ, You will go to this lake of fire and it won't be God's fault. It'll be your fault because you didn't accept the payment Jesus made for you. Bible says anybody who wants to know the truth, God will get it to them. 
Well, I don't believe, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. That's a popular one today. It's getting more and more popular. I like what one man said. He said, to believe in heaven, but not in hell, is to declare that there were times when Jesus was telling the truth and times when he was lying. Think about it. Did you know no one talked about hell more than Jesus did? Why? Because he's the Savior who didn't want people to go there. So with all of that today, let's close with our last point, and it is this, the escape from the judgment. The escape from the judgment. We have looked at the time of the judgment. We've looked at the participants of the judgment. We've looked at the basis of the judgment. We've looked at the end result of the judgment. But how about this? How about the escape from the judgment? Friend, instead of thinking that you can't accept this because of your own, really what it comes down to is your own ego and thinking. Again, I say this as a friend, you're not God. You don't determine what truth is. God does. We operate according to what he says because he's the one who controls everything. He's God. You're not. You need to accept his way. And he's made it as easy as he possibly could because he loves you. The escape from the judgment. And what is it? Faith in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. Turn with me to John chapter 3. What does the devil want? The devil wants people to focus on, because it's all based on their own pride, your good works. Well, I don't deserve to go to hell. We all deserve to go to hell. That's why Jesus came. Because we're rebels against God. All of us to some extent. Some more than others. I get that. And that's why there's different degrees of punishment in hell. But hell will be awful for everybody. But you know what? No one needs to go there. August 2nd, 1972, I understood this message for the first time in my life. And I put my faith in Christ. And from that day forward, I said, I don't understand it all. But this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. It's that important. And it is that important. John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world, so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, referring to himself and what he would do as a payment for our sin, that whosoever believeth in him, that's all, believe, that he did, made the payment for you, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, why? The world is already condemned. God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, as clear as can be. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is, notice what it says, condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Condemned already. That's proof right there that you're not saved by your works because God says you're already condemned. You haven't even lived your whole life yet. God says you're already condemned. So your good works are not going to get you to heaven because you're already condemned. The only way you can escape is through faith in Jesus Christ. Look down to verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath, possesses right that moment, everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, there it is, the wrath of God abideth on him. One last verse, Romans 6, 23, it is so clear. I plead with you, friend, I plead with you. If you're here today, 
If you've never trusted Christ, would you do it right now? Those of you may be watching down the road or listening, I plead with you, dear friend, right now, this moment, put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ. Receive the free gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, separation from God. But instead of that, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The offer is now. You don't know when you're going to die. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in him that he's paid for all your sin. It's all he's asking you to do. And the moment you do, he'll give you everlasting life. Would you do it? Would you believe in Christ today? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.